Well, as always, thank you so much to everyone who has helped to put this worship service together. Uh, for Alan Wenzel, who was our um, liturgist this morning, for Pam Pash, who offered her testimony. And if you are interested in sharing yours, um, who Jesus is to you, uh, we would love to have that as a part of this series. Um, who is Jesus to you? I'm happy to help you figure out how to record or record you. Um, or if you have a few words or pictures that you'd like to share, who is Jesus to you? Um, thank you also to Gary Brubaker for our music, for our praise team and our Wesley Choir. Thank you. In our um, Lenten series, this uh, <coughs> excuse me, this season, we're talking about who Jesus is, uh, because I think we all have a slightly different answer to that question. Jesus is the reason we're together. Jesus is the reason we're worshiping together this morning, and yet we all have this different picture of who Jesus might be to us. Now, for some people, there's also a lot of baggage with who Jesus is, and maybe that's because of their experience with Jesus or their experience with, with Christians. Who is Jesus? So this week, or this, this series, the season, um, we're talking about who Jesus is using Diana Butler Bass's book, Freeing Jesus. We'll talk about Jesus as teacher, friend, savior, Lord, way, and presence. And this morning, we'll talk about Jesus as our Savior. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, if you are um, someone who is familiar with children's cartoons, um, you have seen this familiar trope. Even if you're not familiar with children's cartoons, you've seen this um, familiar trope throughout um, throughout lots of shows. Uh, I was watching, um, I've been watching with my uh, nieces and nephew, uh, Paw Patrol and um, Tots, um, and there's something that happens. Uh, especially when one of the characters um, gets hurt off screen or just in general. Um, so watching Paw Patrol with my nephew a few years ago, um, I noticed that Marshall, who is the fire dog, um, he gets in these accidents constantly. And um, as soon as he's injured, he will pop up and he'll say, I'm okay. Or if it's off screen, you hear him say, I'm okay. Um, and this happens actually a lot in children's cartoons. Um, a character will get injured off screen or sometimes on screen, and you'll hear them say fairly quickly, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm fine. And so um, I thought this was really interesting. And I heard uh, an interview once uh, with someone who worked in studios, and they said that it's actually, um, for some studios and production companies, it's an unwritten rule that if a character in a children's cartoon gets injured, that you say this pretty immediately right after. And sometimes it is a written rule, like you've got to say this as a part of your story development. I'm okay. And it's to make sure that the kids know that their favorite characters are okay after an injury. I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm good. 
Now, once you know this, you'll be able to point it out all of the time. Or maybe you're going through thinking about cartoons that you watched with your kids um, or your grandkids or your great-grandkids, and you're going, yes, I've heard that before. Um, it happens in adult shows, too, um, in shows uh, when a character is injured. I'm okay um, to let us know that we're okay. Now, we all want to know <laughs> that we're okay or that someone else is okay. We want to know that when something bad happens, it'll all be okay. And sometimes that's comfort, just a comfort to hear that. Oh, it's okay. Everything is fine. But most of all, I think what it offers us is hope that all will be well, all shall be well. It also reminds us of our need for someone or something to offer that hope to us. And many people think about our savior or a savior in terms of being that hero or that, that hope bringer, someone who saves us from something. And as people of faith, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is our savior. Jesus saves us from something and also Jesus saves us for something. So what are we saved from? Well, when I was in high school, I attended a youth worship service with a friend at another church. And on the way there, this group of friends that I was going with, they kept asking me, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? You might get saved tonight. Um, and it was not a part of my religious language and what I knew about religion or faith growing up, even though I had grown up in a, in a United Methodist church. Um, and so when they said, are you saved? I thought, I don't know. Um, no. And, um, and I remember the conversation in the car. They told me it was important for me to be saved. And, um, and they hoped that it happened for me that night. And I was like, yeah, me too. Um, what, how does this happen? How does this work? Um, and so during the worship service, I remember going up to the altar um, at the end of the service. They, they invited people up there who wanted to give their life to Jesus or who wanted to pray. And I thought, yeah, I, I want to pray. Um, and so I went up there and I prayed with someone there. And on the way home, one of my friends said, I am so proud of you that you are now saved. And I thought, I, I don't know how that happened. I still wasn't sure what had happened and how they knew I was saved if I didn't know I was saved. When, um, when I was in first grade, my Sunday school teacher was Mrs. Wheeler. Um, I remember our Sunday school classes in first grade. I remember the building and the room and um, the felt board. Um, I remember singing songs. I remember Mrs. Wheeler. And in one of the Sunday school classes with Mrs. Wheeler, she taught that we needed to ask Jesus to come into our hearts. We wanted Jesus to be a part of our lives. And I remember walking away from that class and I remember the prayer I prayed in that hallway, in that Sunday school building as a first grader. And I prayed, Jesus, I want you to be in my heart. Please live there. And I also remember a feeling that I felt. It was warm and it was comforting. 
and I wasn't sure what happened. But I knew that I trusted Mrs. Wheeler and I knew that I loved Jesus. When my cousin Maddie was four, um, we had this conversation. She said to me, do you know who Jesus is? And I said, well, I sure do. I, yes, I, yes, I know who Jesus is. And she asked me, is Jesus in your heart? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure Jesus is in my heart. I love Jesus a whole lot. Is Jesus in your heart? And she thought about it and she said, yeah, I think he just kind of fell in there one day. And I said, he just fell in there? And she said, yeah, I think that's just what he does. Sometimes he just falls in people's hearts. What does this all mean? What does it mean that Jesus is our savior? What does it mean to be saved? What does he save us from? What does he save us for? How does or how did or how will he save us? And then why? Why does Jesus save us? Well, I think that last one is the easiest one to answer. Jesus saves us because we are loved. The other parts are a little bit harder to answer and more complicated. <clears throat> We're talking about atonement. Atonement is, um, is the concept or the act of being reconciled, being made one with God through Jesus Christ. Now, it's usually with the goal of righting a wrong or what we would call sin, something that separates us from God. And so atonement brings us back together um, and makes us one at one with God. Theologically speaking, um, there are many different theories of atonement because we are still trying to figure out what this might all mean. And so um, some of these theories of atonement of how or, or what Jesus did um, are things like Christus Victor, um, which was made um, popular, I guess if you can call it popular, um, by Arrhenius. Um, and it, uh, it says that the atonement was in the fact that God was made human. So in the incarnation, that's how we're saved. Then there's another called incarnational atonement, which was um, made popular by Schleiermacher. Um, and um, Schleiermacher said the most important part is that God became human. Um, and so that's how we are saved. There's the moral exemplar, which is uh, was made popular by Abelard, uh, which said that Jesus' life and death was enough of an example for people to change their lives. So because Jesus lived and died and had a good life, that was enough for anyone to want to change their lives. There's the solidarity um, theory of atonement, which was made popular by Jürgen Moltmann, um, who said that Jesus' life is a testimony for standing in solidarity with the marginalized or those who are oppressed. Uh, there's the healing servant, uh, which can be found in some of John Wesley's teachings, although John Wesley's theory of atonement is a little harder to pin down. Um, but this is one of the places where he talked about the healing servant in that grace heals us from our sin. And that's how, how and why Jesus saves us. Probably one of the most popular or the most um, understood theories of atonement is called substitution. Uh, and that was made popular by Augustine. 
which it says that the death of Jesus on the cross is the paying of a debt or satisfying a debt caused by humanity's sinful nature, um, offending God. And it's also framed as, as Jesus taking the place or substituting for humanity, for us on the cross. And that's what, that's the atonement. Um, another one that's very similar is scapegoating, um, and that was uh, made popular by Gerard in that Jesus was the scapegoat for humanity's sins. So Jesus took on all of the sins of humanity, died on the cross, and that satisfied God. <clears throat> one that is um, a little bit um, um, post-crucifixion is called Ransom Captive, and that was made popular by Origen that Jesus' death is the ransom paid to the devil or to evil powers to free humans from the bondage of sin. Um, and uh, in the resurrection, um, that's where the devil was tricked or evil was tricked and he didn't have any control over Christ at all. Now, there are all of these theories and maybe your eyes glassed over as you were hearing about them, or maybe there was one of them that you were like, oh, that fits how I understand Jesus as my savior. That's how we understand Jesus as our savior. <clears throat> Diana Butler Bass, um, she talks about the atonement in this way in her book, Freeing Jesus. She says, at, at one meant, atonement, at one meant, means just that. Through Jesus, all will be renewed made whole, brought back into oneness, reunited with God. Salvation is not a transaction to get into heaven after death. Rather, it is an experience of love and beauty and of paradise here and now. No single metaphor, not even one of Paul's, can truly describe this. We need a prism of stories to bring to understand the cross and a lifetime to experience it. So again, as you heard those theories of atonement, maybe your eyes glassed over and maybe you thought not one of them fully, fully means how you understand Jesus as your savior, but maybe all of them do in some way or another. What does Jesus save us from? Or what does Jesus save us for? Because we are saved from our sin. We're saved from that which separates us from God and from one another. But what are we saved for? The question that the, the person asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to keep the commandments and to care for those who Jesus loves. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Take care of one another. Love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's not just about us, what we need. Although that's important, it's also about how we take care of one another. We're not saved for our own comfort or for ourselves. We're saved in order that we might care for one another. That we might live in the way that Jesus taught us how to live. <clears throat> Now, here is something that I know for sure, and I will speak fully for myself, although I think I'm speaking for other people too. I need a savior. I need Jesus. 
I need a savior. I need someone who will save me from myself. I need someone. <laughs> I was sitting in a meeting recently and I wanted so badly to just say something, you know, like it was not, I wanted to, anyway. And I needed a savior to remind me. Sometimes you need to keep your mouth shut. Sometimes that's the best way. I need someone who will remind me that the world is bigger than myself. Because sometimes I can feel like it's, it's just all about only my problems. And it's not. It's about so much more. I need someone who will challenge me to love everyone even when it's hard. I need someone who will love me when I feel unlovable and when I feel unworthy. I need a savior. And I think you need a savior too. In fact, I know I need a savior. And I know we all need Jesus. I need a savior like Jesus. We need a savior like Jesus. And salvation isn't just about where we go when we die. It's about how we live now. Jesus said several times throughout his ministry, the kingdom of God is at hand. Salvation has come to your house today. Salvation isn't something that happens in the future. It doesn't happen just in the future. It happens now. We are invited into the work Jesus Christ has already, already begun. Love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those two things change the world. Follow the example that Jesus has given us through his life, death, and resurrection. What does a savior look like today? As you think about what Jesus looks like or means to you, what does a savior look like to someone else? What does a savior look like to a Ukrainian refugee? What does a savior look like to someone who is hungry or homeless? What does a savior look like to an abused child? What does a savior look like to the family of someone unjustly murdered? What does a savior <clears throat> what does a savior look like to someone struggling with addiction? What does a savior look like to a parent caring for their child? What does a savior look like to someone who is facing infertility? What does a savior look like to a student struggling with math? What does a savior look like to a teacher who has given everything to their students. What does a savior look like to you? What does a savior look like to your neighbor? Who is Jesus to you? And how are you doing your best to follow that savior, that Jesus? Jesus didn't just come to die but to show us how to have life and have life abundantly. 
We are saved when we choose life over death. We are saved when we choose hope over cynicism. We are saved when we choose joy over despair. We are saved when we choose abundance over scarcity. We are saved when we choose generosity over stinginess. We are saved when we choose peace over violence. We are saved when we choose love over hate. Jesus is our savior now in every moment in every breath. Jesus has already chosen us. May we choose him every day. Thank God that Jesus has saved us through the love of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.